You just heard an excerpt from a piece called Fantasy. It's the title track on a new album on Sadie Records, Fantasy. Oppens plays Kaminsky. Oppens is world-renowned pianist Ursula Oppens, and Kaminsky is her longtime friend, composer Laura Kaminsky. I'm Jim Ginsberg, founder and president of Sadie Records, and those of you who have listened before know that every time we have a new release on Sadie Records, we have a new classical Chicago podcast. This is episode 43, and this album is the new release for April 2021 on Sadie Records, and I am delighted that my guest on this podcast is the star of the album, pianist Ursula Oppens. Hi, Ursula. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Although this is your fifth album for Sadie Records, Ursula, this is actually your first Classical Chicago podcast because we began this series just a couple months after you released your previous album on Sadie, the Grammy-nominated all-Fredrikzewski album. As an introduction, can you give a brief description, because you've had such a distinguished career, but just a brief description of some of your career highlights, both as a performer and a teacher? Okay, I'll start with my parents. My mother was a piano teacher, and my father was a musicologist and a piano tuner. So music was in my life from the very, very beginning of it. They were also refugees from Europe, and they felt they had left a great culture behind. So I have always been very involved in the Western classical tradition. But I was very excited to discover that not everything had been left behind, that there were fantastic composers right next to me. And that had a lot to do with the whole trajectory of my life. I started teaching quite late in life. I had 14 wonderful years at Northwestern University in Chicago, in which I had fabulous students. Winston Choi, who's a great virtuoso, and Amy Briggs, who recorded many of David Rakowski's great etudes. Also, Jacob Greenberg, a founder of ICE, and Lisa Kaplan, a founder of Eighth Blackbird. And through Jacob, I worked with Tony Arnold and Claire Chase. And quite by chance, I even coached one of the founders of the Jack Quartet, Ari Streisfeld, though in a Brahms quintet. So I feel that my years at Northwestern really coincided, because I wasn't really responsible for these great people, but coincided with the founding of some of the most important new music groups of today. I would just want to add that Lisa Kaplan with 8th Blackbird is a veteran of the Sadie label, as is Winston Choi, who is the pianist of Civitas Ensemble, another group that is recorded on Sadie. And of course, it is that time at Northwestern, based right here just north of Chicago, that is your basis for being a Sadie artist. Right. What a great legacy for me, and how great it is that when I left Chicago, we kept this relationship, and I'm very grateful for it. Well, I feel you're being a bit modest, though, because I would describe you as the world's preeminent interpreter of modern American composers. You also have five Grammy nominations to your credit, and I'm proud to say that three of those are for your first four albums for Sadie Records. We'll see what happens with this fifth album. We're hoping, and that's very exciting. Can you just name a few other highlights from your career as a performer, especially, of course, what you're best known for, which is championing all these wonderful American composers? Well, for me, my two appearances with the Chicago Symphony were really highlights. 
One was with the Lutoslavsky Piano Concerto. And day of the concert, there was a little notice. I was told, we wanted you to know that there's a critics convention happening tonight, so you shouldn't be too surprised. And the other one was the Carter Piano Concerto. And that was when they had been remodeling the hall and the Chicago Symphony had been on tour. And we had one rehearsal less than normal. I believe our first rehearsal was on Wednesday for a Thursday concert. The orchestra, some members I ran into, were really annoyed because that's a tremendously difficult piece. And they said, we just can't do it. And Michael Gielen was the conductor. And we started. And basically, the orchestra was a mess. And then Michael whistled all the parts. And suddenly, it was hey, we're the Chicago Symphony. We can do anything at all. And they played the work magnificently. Oh, that's a great story. To move forward to the album at hand, of course, this album, Fantasy, is a celebration of a close to four-decade musical and personal friendship between performer and composer. So how and when did you first get to know Laura? I first got to know her when she was a presenter. She hired me for a concert at Town Hall, and I believe that was the concert where I played the premiere of Conlon Nancaro's Two Canons for Ursula. And I didn't really know she was a composer then, but we just talked and got to know one another. And it was a few years until I got to know her music. I was entranced by it. It's not like anyone else's music. She has a very strong harmonic language and a very strong sense of shape. So I've just gotten to know it bit by bit over the years. And then I realized I had played enough of her pieces that we really had a CD. Hmm. I'm so glad you came to us with this project. Well, I'm so glad you took it. This is the first CD I've ever done where it's the music of one composer, but many different musical shapes. Solo, four hands, a quintet, and a concerto. And as a pianist, I love doing all of these. For me, this is a particularly rewarding combination of forms, ensembles, because it isn't just solo piano. Well, one of the things that strikes me listening to these pieces is her sense of rhythm and her use of rhythm. It's very, very creative and drives these pieces forward in spectacular and often unexpected ways. I will also note that in her bio, she talks about her catalog being replete with scores tackling environmental and social justice issues, and we'll be talking about that in conjunction with one of the pieces on this album. Fanfare Magazine has described her as a composer whose music is full of fire as well as ice, contrasting dissonance and violence with tonal beauty and meditative reflection. It is strong stuff. So I hope that does her some justice. I note that two of the works on the album are from a decade ago, The Fantasy and the Concerto, and two are very recent. Yes, The Quintet and Reckoning are barely two and a half years old. Has her style evolved over the years, or is this a good representation of her style throughout her career? Well, I don't know her earlier music, so I can't really say. She did live and study in Africa for at least a year, certainly with the quintet, the rhythm of the first movement, she said, is derived from her studies in Africa. But that was a long time ago, so this probably has been in her music for a while. I find the four pieces are very different from one another. I imagine her style 
each piece she has written, and I've heard string quartet of hers, I've heard other music, they all have this combination of real ferocity and absolute beauty. I imagine that's been part of her composition for a long time. The piece we all know the best, besides what's on this record, is her opera as one. Glad you mentioned the quintet, because that's actually the first piece on the album, and it's how I wanted to start the podcast in terms of sizable musical excerpt, or in this case, movement. As she mentions in her note, the piece is based on a melding of West African drumming patterns with irregular dance rhythms from Eastern Europe. And yes, she encountered those West African rhythms while studying and living in Ghana in 1992-93, and then the Eastern European rhythms come from her time there in the mid-1990s, 96 to 97, and then this quintet is a piece you actually commissioned, written in 2018 and premiered early in 2019, so it's interesting she's bringing those influences from over two decades earlier into this piece. I listened to it again last night because of today, (laughs) and yes, it was written in 2018, We were in the middle of the last administration, and I feel some of the worries and nervousness that we all were feeling during the entire time is audible in the quintet. We're going to listen in a minute to the first movement, but is there anything you want to say about the piece as a whole or about the other movements before we do? Well, the second movement is a fantastic lyrical movement that has a real arch of exploding in emotion and then calming down again. The third movement is interesting. The piano plays clusters. And I had never in my life played a piece that was all clusters. And I found learning it, practicing it, was extraordinarily difficult. I had to learn an entirely new technique. But again, listening to it, I thought, this is a sound on the piano that I've never heard before. So it was very exciting to not worry anymore about practicing it and just hear the result. And the strings are extremely lyrical. And it also, to me, represents our stability and yet our underlying fear during the last four years. Interesting. Now we will turn to the first moment, which is the one based on those West African and Eastern European rhythms that we talked about. And Laura, in her notes, describes it as, quote, a bit of joy for this dark time. What would you like to add to that? Well, we were learning it very carefully, very slowly. Each eighth note, very careful. Laura came to an early rehearsal, and basically she said, you'll never get there this way. Just play it in tempo, and you'll understand how it swings. Well, it certainly does. So... Without further ado, here is the first movement of Piano Quintet, written by Laura Kaminsky from the new album, Fantasy Oppens Plays Kaminsky, Ursula Oppens Piano with the Cassatt String Quartet. Thank you. 
You just heard the first movement of Laura Kaminsky's Piano Quintet, composed in 2018, commissioned by Ursula Oppens, performed there by Oppens with the Cassatt String Quartet from Ursula Oppens' new album on Sadie Records, her fifth on the label, Fantasy, Oppens Plays Kaminsky. While we discussed your friendship with Laura earlier, what inspired you to put together a recorded program of her works at this particular time? It was basically being so excited about having played them that I wanted them all to be put together and to make a record of them in the old-fashioned sense of having them exist for posterity and not just in a performance that's fleeting. Well, we're just crazy about the quintet. And it was this very lucky chance of being able to play the concerto and record it, which frequently is financially not possible for many reasons. And putting that together, it just seemed absolutely natural to make a CD. And then Laura thought, well, it needs just one extra thing. And as a gift, she wrote Reckoning for my partner, Jerry Lowenthal, and myself. That's also quite different from the other pieces. 
pieces are very different from one another. I was just so excited about the possibility of doing this. Were there any special circumstances to your commission of the quintet? Yes, they were separate impulses. I've been playing with the cassette for 20 years or so, and they also play the music of Laura, and we've commissioned other quintets, and we just thought it would be fantastic to have a quintet. But then it happened that there was a concert that was exactly on my 75th birthday. So the two came together in an extremely nice way. That is a great story. Well, the next piece, of course, is the one that gives the album its title, The Fantasy. And that one is actually from a decade ago, actually completed in 2010. And while you did not give the world premiere of it, you did give the New York City premiere in 2017. What makes it such a significant work for you? It's a big piece. In a way, one thinks of the Schumann fantasy in that it has so many different emotions in it. It goes from one thought to another thought, and yet they are really connected. Her harmonic language is extremely interesting, and she sometimes writes a chord that could be rewritten, let's say a major chord, but it's a kind of augmented chord, and that makes it sound different, even on a piano where you can't really vary the pitch at all, unlike a string quartet. There's this improvisatory nature where one can go from one kind of music to something very different in a way that seems totally natural. It's a big piece and very exciting to play. In fact, in the note, she talks about having worked at it from improvisation at the keyboard, and I think you really can feel that in the way it's written. Yes, absolutely. Well, let's play an excerpt right about the middle of the piece here. That gives a good feel for the overall nature of the piece with, again, that strong both harmonic and rhythmic basis. So here is an excerpt from Fantasy by Laura Kaminsky, as played by pianist Ursula Oppens.
You heard an excerpt from a piece called Fantasy, a 20-minute piece by composer Laura Kaminsky, performed by pianist Ursula Oppens on her new album, Fantasy, Oppens Plays Kaminsky. And if you like what you're hearing, and I sure hope you do, check out the full album, which you can find on the Sadie Records website, of course, C-E-D-I-L-L-E records.org, also available in places like Archive Music and Amazon.com if you prefer to stream your music. When the album is released on April 9, you can find it on all the basic streaming sites like Spotify and Apple Music and all the high-end sites for audio such as Primephonic and Idagio and the rest. So wherever you like to get your music, I hope you will want to check this out. Continuing now, we talked about the first piece being one you commissioned. The next one on the album, as you noted earlier, which was written for you and your musical partner, pianist Jerome Lowenthal, as a gift from Laura. What was it like to receive that? Well, with every new piece, you don't know. The fabulous thing about playing a piece, you cannot go at this point to Spotify and listen to it. You have to derive it from those black dots on the paper. That's, for me, the greatest fun of learning new music. First, Jerry and I had to get our parts learnt, and then we sat down together. And it takes a while. We're very, very fallible human beings. And when you play four hands, of course, your elbows are into each other. And then gradually you start to make music and you start to listen to something. And it becomes incredibly beautiful. The first movement, for instance, the second is rather violent. It was just thrilling just to explore this piece. Well, I was actually going to ask you about the importance for you of commissioning and premiering new works and adding to the repertoire. And it sounds like some of it is, in fact, this visceral thrill of the new. Is that right? Absolutely. I have no compositional imagination myself, so I can never, never, never predict what I will receive. And that, uh, I take it, is fun for you. (laughs) For me, it's fun, yes. (laughs) Excellent. Now, I should note that this piece was actually premiered in Chicago in 2019. Can you explain the circumstances of that? Well, I think it was my next birthday, and Winston Choi had invited Jerry and me to come to Roosevelt to give some classes and play a concert. And it was a wonderful occasion for me because I saw so many of my old friends And yes, Winston did want some new music, and we had some new music to offer to him. That's how it happened at Gans Hall. We had talked about how Laura is known for works that tackle issues of social justice. I should give the full title of this piece for Piano Four Hands. It's titled Reckoning, Five Miniatures for America for Piano Four Hands. How does this piece fit in that theme? It didn't exactly predict the events of January 6th, But it kind of implied that they might happen. As I say, the second movement and the last movement are quite violent. And yet in between, there's utterly gorgeous, beautiful, peaceful music. And I think it was basically Laura expressing her and our worries about what might happen. Well, actually, why don't I read what she says about it in the album program notes. She says it was composed in 2019 in reaction to what is an extraordinary time in American history. The tumultuousness of the political landscape, the piercing divisions in the social compact, 
the sense that we were living through a time of deep threat to the powerful, noble, and yet compromised and troubled vision that America represents led me to write this set of miniatures. Reckoning is at once angry, anguished, and defeated, yet also hopeful and forward-looking. And then she lists the movements. And what's interesting about these is they're full of contradictions. The first movement is titled Majestic, Yet. The second movement, Hurtling, Still. And the last, Forward, Yet. And there's that push and pull throughout these pieces, these hesitations and these moments of rushing forward and then just stopping. What's it like to play, especially with a partner, a piece like this? Well, when you're playing, you're also very involved in the very specifics of getting it right technically. The spacious movements, you enjoy playing and you feel it. With the fast hurtling movements, you are both involved in the technicality of playing it. You want to play the right notes at the right time and not be on top of each other. Yet you want to get the intense feeling. It's music at the edge, really. And the edge, which is a political edge, but the edge is also a pianistic edge. So you really do it as intensely as you can. Well, I thought we might let people hear the second moment, the one titled Hurtling Still. You identify that it is violent, and yet it is, at the same time, very attractive violence. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anything more you want to say about that movement before you let people hear it? As a pianist, you do a lot of slow, careful work before you can do the more violent-sounding, intense work. So we know it in both ways. Great. Well, here is the second movement of Reckoning by Laura Kaminsky, the movement titled Hurtling Still, and it's performed by Ursula Oppens and Jerome Lowenthal. You just heard a movement titled Hurtling Still, 
from a piece called Reckoning, Five Miniatures for America for Piano Four Hands. The four hands you heard were of Ursula Oppens and Jerome Lowenthal, performing a piece they premiered in Chicago at Roosevelt University's Piano Fest in November of 2019. Here it's on Sadie Records' new album with Ursula, Fantasy Oppens Plays Kaminsky, her fifth for the Sadie label. The final work on the album is Kaminsky's 2011 Piano Concerto. And as you noted earlier, this album, unlike many of yours, which are often all concertos or all solo works, this album combines chamber music, solo music, forehand music, and this full concerto. That variety of instrumentations, of course, presents quite a challenge for a producer. The producer for this album is the wonderful and multi-multi-Grammy winning producer Judith Sherman. What was it like working with her on this? Well, I've been working with Judy Sherman for, I think, 40 years. And for me, she's just the most wonderful producer I can imagine. I feel that I give her junk and she turns it into gold. But I remember my first recording of Elliot Carter's Night Fantasies. At one point, she could tell that I was tired. She said, let's go on a walk. We went on a walk. It was a beautiful spring day. I feel when I work with her, I can abandon my own sense of self-criticism and completely leave it up to her to say that was a great take or I think can do a little bit better. And I just play the music and I don't worry about anything else. Yeah, that sense of trust, I think, between a performer and a producer is really valuable. Yes. And as I said, we've worked together for a really long time. It's just been wonderful the whole way. Well, I mentioned the different genres covered here, and I want to give a quick nod also to CD Records resident engineer Bill Malone, who had the task of mastering, that is putting these four disparate pieces together and making sure they balance nicely on the album, which I think they certainly do. Yes, it sounds great. It's funny because when you think of the composers of the past, let's say Mozart, and someone's playing a piano sonata, and yet one thinks, oh, but you should know the Mozart operas or the Mozart piano concerti or the string quartets. So I feel in this CD, we've tried to do that all at once. I think it's a great overview myself, so I applaud you for that. Of course, this piece was actually premiered in Russia in St. Petersburg in 2011. And what was it like premiering a piece there? This was my first visit to St. Petersburg. So the city itself was so exciting. It was my first visit to the Hermitage Museum. The music was the music. Jeffrey Meyer is American, and the rehearsals were in English. So that was not so unusual. I had a fantastic hotel room with a piano in it. Being in St. Petersburg was so overwhelming as a great city that the music was not really different, but the city was different. I feel with the concerto, it's very exciting about the relationship of the instruments to the piano. It's a chamber orchestra, so you hear many of the instruments as soloists themselves. So there's an ever-changing kind of dialogue between the piano and, let's say, the clarinet or the percussion or the oboe. That's quite unusual in a concerto, that you have so many dialogues with members of the orchestra, and that's very exciting. Jeffrey Meyer is the director of orchestras at Arizona State University, and of course that is where the album was recorded. Anything special to note about that? 
Well, the date, because we recorded it, I think, on February 9th, and a month later, there was a complete shutdown in the country. And we were so fortunate to have done it before that. That was just a gift. The orchestra was wonderful. They don't sound like students. They sound like people who will be doing orchestral auditions as soon as they're available again and entering major orchestras. They had learned their parts magnificently. And they also had a great deal of stamina because a recording session is difficult. For instance, we thought we had finished the recording session and then it turned out that the room sound was different by then from what it had been in the beginning. So we really had to do a large chunk of the beginning of the concerto again. And the students were just magnificent about it and wonderfully spirited and committed. That's terrific. Actually, I wanted to ask if your approach to playing and recording concerto repertoire differs from how you prepare and play solo and chamber repertoire. Well, if you're playing solo and you mess up, you can do it again. If you're playing with other people, whether it's one person or a whole orchestra, and they're playing wonderfully and you mess up, you have ruined their take as well. So there's a great deal more pressure when you're playing with other people to not ruin their wonderful playing. Well, I wanted to to move on to the piece itself, and we're going to hear an excerpt in just a moment. Laura notes that the piece was really inspired by visual images, specifically the light on the Hudson River that she sees from her studio window in the Bronx and on the Neva River in St. Petersburg. How do you feel that in your performance and in the piece? Well, there's a sense of rubato in most of the lines that really could be very much like the changing of light. The way light reflects on the water, I also look at the Hudson River from my studio in Manhattan. I think water and rubato are completely related. One might say ebb and flow, and the sense of things being natural and integral and not ordered into a form by an external force. And I think the concerto has a great deal of that kind of freedom. In fact, Laura notes in the album booklet, she says the notions of flow and stasis and reflection and absorption are addressed musically in this piece, which is in one extended movement. And like the fantasy, it came out of improvisation. And I think you feel that, don't you? Yes, absolutely. Well, we're going to hear an excerpt, part of the piano concerto, about two-thirds of the way in, and this leads into and then comes out of the last really big climax in the piece. So you'll get a sense of both the biggest sound in the piece and then the more lyrical, quieter sounds right after it, which are really gorgeous. So here is an excerpt of Laura Kaminsky's piano concerto from 2011, as performed by pianist Ursula Oppens with the Arizona State University Orchestra, conducted by Jeffrey Meyer. Thank you. 
You just heard a portion of the piano concerto. The full piece is about 21 minutes in a single movement, but you heard a portion of it performed from Ursula Oppen's new album, Fantasy Oppen's Plays Kaminsky. So, of course, the soloist there was Ursula Oppen's, my guest on this Classical Chicago podcast with the Arizona State University Orchestra, conducted by Jeffrey Meyer. And if you like what you're hearing, I remind you, you can find it on sadierecords.org or Amazon, or Archive Music, or Spotify, or Idagio, on the streaming sites once the album is released on April 9th, of course, and I hope you'll want to check it out. Now that people have heard parts of each piece on the album, what would you like them to take away from the album as a whole? It's an emotional adventure into difficulty, into exhilarance, into absolute beauty, and as with all music, it should change your life for the time you're listening to it, and maybe even afterwards. That's terrific. I should note that we're recording this podcast in mid-February 2021, in fact, uh, almost exactly a year after you recorded the concerto, uh, the last piece you recorded for this album, a full year into the pandemic here in the United States uh, and the related shutdown of live performances. How have you been managing during the crisis? Well, I've been practicing. I commissioned a relatively short work from Frederick Shevsky, and Jerry and I have commissioned a forehand piece from Michael Stephen Brown. Composers can compose during this period. We teach by Zoom, and that works better than you can imagine. What we have found is that students are working very hard, probably are more disciplined almost than normally. Everyone is very happy to get together on Zoom compared to not being able to get together at all. We've increased the number of occasions we have to get together. One takes walks. As they say, a light at the end of the tunnel, though it's still a very long tunnel. Indeed. There have been many artistic responses to the pandemic. I wanted to ask which ones have most resonated with or inspired you? One of the things that really did inspire me was the attention paid to Black composers in this period. And I have listened to the music of a lot of composers whom I really had not known much about, like Margaret Bonds, 
and a lot of others. Um, William Grant Still, I had always known his name. I had not paid much attention to his music. This isn't really to do with the pandemic. It had to do with more Black Lives Matter. Right, inspired, of course, by the very unfortunate killing of George Floyd at the hands of police in Minneapolis. Right, but that's been a lot of my musical exploration in this period. And a shameless CD plug here. In February, we just released an album with baritone Will Liverman, Dreams of a New Day, Songs by Black Composers. And in fact, that album includes three pieces by Margaret Bonds, set to poetry of Langston Hughes. And you will also find a number of pieces of William Grant Stills on the label as well. Yes. So that's been a little bit more my direction of musical exploration. And it's been incredibly rewarding. What is most interesting are the new works created in response to the pandemic. And basically, I haven't been able to spend quite as much time paying attention to them as I would like, simply because our work has continued. Well, in that light, I want to ask what your future plans are, both in the short term and, of course, next concert season, when we hope and believe that performances will really be back. Well, yes, we really don't know what's going to happen. As I say, this work of Frederick Shevsky, I haven't played yet, and I've just decided to start playing it in various online things that I'm doing, lecture demonstrations. We don't really know about the concert season because it seems as if it's one of the later things that will come back. In Europe, we just got a very nice note from a former student of Jerry's, Vikingur Olafsson, who says he's playing a lot of concerts. What a terrific pianist. (laughs) Yes, right. Right. So he's playing a lot of concerts. And on the other hand, he says in the past 11 months, he's also spent 60 days in quarantine. Mm. Because wherever he goes, he has to quarantine for a a little bit. So my life isn't that exciting at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Any uh, long-term projects on the horizon? I think my next recording project is going to be some music of Charles Warrenen. He wrote a big piece for me about 12 years ago that I haven't recorded yet. And Jerry and I will record a ballet of his. And then there'll be some light pieces. But that probably won't be for a year or two. Certainly you will know about it when I do it. I'll be very excited (laughs) to hear that. And that's the next recording project. And my pandemic project somehow turned out to be learning Chopin nocturnes. That was very much an emotional response to what was going on, to decide that I'll immerse myself in some of the most beautiful music ever written that is not on a grand scale. So that's one of the things I've been doing. With the Cassatt Quartet, we are going to do some concerts in May, and we're doing the Amy Beach Piano Quintet, a fantastic piece that I didn't know before. It was written in 1909, and it's at that edge. It's still tonal, but with one enharmonic modulation after another. So it's completely of its time. It's in no way an old-fashioned piece, because that's what composers were doing in 1909. And it's been a very exciting project. Lovely. So finally, I like to end these podcasts with the question that I think you have a unique perspective on. From your experience running your studio at Northwestern and then your many return visits to Chicago, what makes Chicago's music scene special? 
I think it is the new music scene, and I'll start it with the Association for the Advancement of Creative Musicians, the AACM, in the 60s, and go to Third Coast Percussion. I feel that Chicago has been a vanguard of the most creative music in America. And I should note that our album being released previous to Ursula's is, in fact, with Third Coast Percussion, along with Sergio and Clarice Assad. It's a collaboratively composed suite of 12 pieces under the title Archetypes. So you may want to check that out. Of course, it is the subject of Classical Chicago podcast, episode number 42, this being episode number 43. And they've won how many Grammys already? Well, actually, that's a good question because they actually won a Grammy. They're only one so far for their first album on CD Records, at least so far when we're recording this. That was their all Steve Reich album. However, their most recent prior to Archetypes CD album, uh, Music of Devante Hines under the title Fields, was nominated for a 2021 Grammy. We were supposed to find out the result of that at the end of January, but due to COVID, the Grammy Awards had not been announced yet. So between the time this podcast is being recorded and the time this podcast will actually be available for listening, we will know if their (laughs) ghost has won their second Grammy, both for their work for CD Records and overall. Well, that's great. Well, thank you so much, Ursula. This has been great fun, and it is really a terrific album. What a wonderful overview of a really, really interesting composer. Thank you for bringing this to us. I'm so happy. I can't wait till it comes out, and I've enjoyed this conversation. Thank you again. You've been listening to another Classical Chicago podcast from Sadie Records. Thank you for listening.